Man, man, oh man, it's great to be back here with all of you. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online. We would love to have you here. Right, church? We'd love to have them here. All right, you hear all that? Let's give it up to all those who are watching online right now. See, we love you. We want you here with us as we worship this awesome God and celebrate life change through Jesus Christ. You know, I, I say it all the time. I love our worship here. God does something amazing uh, every Sunday morning as we, I walk through and prepare my heart to come up and, and share with you and God's working in me. You know, this morning, man, my, my head was all over the space. And if you saw me out there in the lobby, you knew that something was going on upstairs. <laughs> Maybe you thought nothing was going on upstairs. But anyways, I was walking around and spinning in circles, going all over here. And there's something about our worship that helps me bring right back to focus what he's called us to do here this morning. Thank you, thank you, worship team, for bringing us before the throne room and singing praises to our mighty God, right? Amen, church? Amen. If you are new with us this morning, welcome. Welcome to Vertical Church. We love the fact that you are here. I say this every Sunday because I believe God's going to bring new people into his church on a regular basis, and we expect that around here. We love the fact that you are here. We've been praying for you to come. We hope that today is a God-awesome day for you, that you engage with Jesus in a real way for in your life, and, and so you see him start changing you from the inside out. If you're here and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, I pray today changes all that. I pray that you see your need for Jesus Christ in your life and you surrender your life to him today. Uh, we are in uh, the series. We're actually wrapping up. It's a really quick series, a two-part series that we've dug into last week and today. Uh, but I believe it's an absolutely important series for us to walk through as a church. It's a series called Isolation. As we start dealing with things of uh, uh, being lonely in life, you know, isolation and loneliness are serious issues in our nation. Serious issues actually across the world. Last week I shared a ton of stats about the problem of isolation that so many people, I think it was like 34% of uh, single mom or moms with a bunch of young kids feel like they're seriously isolated at home and it frustrates them. That 55% of pastors across our country feel isolated and lone. They deal with loneliness in life. I mean, it's all through our culture, this idea of loneliness. And I want to show, uh, share with you, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the conversation. Now, we have a podcast. You can find it on any, any, any app that shares podcasts. Look up for My Vertical Church. Go back, listen to it, because it sets the stage for today's conversation as we move into uh, wrapping this series up. You know, at Vertical, we believe that you can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. This phrase is more than a core value. It's one of our core values that we believe. It stands behind our pillars of making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. But it's more than that. You can find it on the wall in our lobby, but it's more than that. You can see it written down. You can see it on the screen, but it's more than that. This phrase actually is woven in the very fabric of who we are and how we were created by God. We were never intended to do life alone. You go back to the beginning of all things in Genesis chapter Two, God says it's not good for man to be alone. He made a helpmate for him, which was Eve. That we need to walk through that and bring it in and make it real to our lives. Not only see it on a screen, see it on the wall, believe it in our minds and push it down our hearts and start living it out. We can't do life alone. 
Last week I shared a statement with you that hopes appeals beyond your own perspective of this idea of longing for a better life, longing for a life of abundant life that Jesus has for every single one of us. And the statement is this, the best version of me is on the other side of meaningful relationships. The best version of me is on the other side of meaningful relationships. If you break this back down and talk about our relationship with Jesus, the best version of you is, is on the other side of a personal relationship with Jesus. And that also continues to build as you are part of his church. As you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become part of the church. And that continues to form in the body of Christ. We do life together. Well, we can, best version of ourselves is on the other side of those deep relationships with other people in this life. If you have a pen or paper, if you are taking notes, if you are highlighting, do me a favor and write that down. I'll wait. I'm still waiting. Write it down. Best version of me is on the other side of meaningful relationships. You know, there's, there's a cost to doing life alone. There is cost of doing life alone. Some of them are small. Some costs are very problematic in our lives. And as I think about this, one of the areas in our lives there's one of the greatest costs we deal with is making decisions in life. There's a lot of costs in life when we're doing life alone when it comes to making decisions. You know, most, in most situations, we don't see the cost of our decisions up front. We don't see the cost of them up front. We don't see them or feel the effect of them until the damage they've already done, until they've already come into fruition into our lives, Right? We don't see, we can't see around the corner. We don't know what's there. We make this decision and the, happen, the outcome happens later. That's why that phrase is very, very important that people hear, and you probably have heard it all the time, is hindsight is 2020. Has anybody heard that phrase? Show me. Hindsight is 2020. Why? Because we look back and see the whole story, the full story in its entirety and realize, man, if we knew then what we know now on the other side of the event, man, we would have made a different decision. Right? We would have made a different decision. We would have done something different. We would have changed our way we moved forward. Many times in our lives we can say, Stink, you know what? If I, had, if I had known that, I would have chose to do this differently. Raise, raise your hand and show me if you've all if you've been into that idea. Okay, so look around. Hold them up. Hold them up. Look around the room. Pretty much everyone in the room has got their hand raised. And those who don't, your arms must be broken. <laughs> right? We've all been there. And since we've all been there, done that, today's message is for everyone in this room. Today's message is for everyone who is watching or listening online. It doesn't make a difference if you're young or old. It applies to you. It applies to you if you're a student in high school, a student in grade school, a student wherever you are or in college. It applies to you if you are an adult living in the workforce. This message is for you if you are a new follower of Jesus. This message is for you if you've been walking with this journey for Jesus for a long, long time. This message is for those who are following Jesus. And here's the truth. This message is for those who are kicking this idea about God and Jesus all together. But they have never given their life to Christ. They're just trying to figure things out. This conversation this morning is for everyone in this room it directly impacts us all. You with me? All right, do me a favor. Tell the person next to you, this is for you. Tell the person on the other side you just ignored, this is for you. 
Now tell them again like you mean it. This is for you. Come on, this is for you. This is for me. Amen to that. Open your Bibles. Let's get in this. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, starting at chapter 11, verse 1 this morning. 2 Samuel, chapter 11, starting at verse 1. This morning, we actually are continuing with this life of this guy named David. Last week, we, we had a conversation about David. We're talking about David. He was the anointed king, but he wasn't king yet. And the king over Israel's people really didn't like David. He chased him and tried to kill him for a long, long time and wanted to take him out because he was no longer going to be the king. And so now we turn things around. We talk about Jonathan and David and their, and their brothership they had and how they cared for one another. Well, now, we're, now David's king. As we step, in, step into 2 Samuel, uh, David is king. He's king over all Israel. And so when it comes to the authority over Israel, everything stops with him, humanly speaking. Humanly speaking. Obviously, everything ultimately rests with God. But everything stopped with him. David was in charge. He went on a war path. He was conquering all these people. God was doing something. In fact, if you go back a couple chapters in, verse, in chapter 8, you would see in verse 14, this is what the, you can see it on the screen. The Lord gave David victory whenever he went, wherever he went. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Let's just stop right there. So as we step into this morning's conversation, we can see that David was at the top of his game. He was at the top of his life. He was at the top of the food chain when it came to Israel. He was at the top of whatever you want to call it. But because he chose to do life in isolation, he set himself up for failure. And then when we choose do life in isolation, we too will set ourselves up for failure, especially when it comes to making decisions. So if you have your Bibles open, chapter 11, we're starting at verse 1. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Let's stop there real quick. That wasn't normal. Was it normal for the king to stay back? Now, David did actually did it before in other battles as well. But normally, kings went out with their armies. They went out to battle with their people. But David decided to hang back and be by himself. Verse 2. One evening, when David got up from his bed and walked around the rooftop of the palace, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So David sent some, someone to find out about her. And the man said, well, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Let's just stop right there. Here's a truth that we need to understand when it comes to us choosing to live in, live in isolation. It's very simple. This. Isolation is dangerous. Living in isolation is dangerous. Living alone is dangerous. It's a dangerous path for us to take. Why? Because there's no accountability, no insight from other people, no one to encourage you, no one to tell you to put in the brakes, no one in your life saying, hey, 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 dude, you might want to stop before you go any further with this. You might want to look at what you're going to do. No one in our lives actually walk up and smack us up inside the back of the head and say, don't. Don't 
do that. And trust me, every single one of this room, including myself, every once in a while, we need someone to step into our lives and give us a smack upside the back of the head. David, sitting on top of the world, isolated, not having someone in his life, or he's seeking out people who were there that he had, he decided to isolate himself and made what turned out to be a very painful decision for him and his people. Now, I want to stop right here before you get any further. I think it's very important to understand uh, living in isolation doesn't necessarily mean you don't have people or friends in your life. Living in isolation means you're choosing to not, not let people in to speak into your life. David had messengers. He had people who were around him who told him Bathsheba was married, but there was non-confrontational people, messengers in his life. And then he went and got her, and David committed adultery. He had people, just not the right people. He had people, but not the right people who were telling him, dude, dude, you just need to stop this. Living in isolation can lead you to make decisions that are costly. Costly. They could be financial loss. It can lead to loss of friendships, a loss of employment, loss of family, loss of a spouse. God says very clear that there is wisdom in counsel. And I'm not talking about us cracking a fortune cookie. I'm talking about you and I having people in our lives that we bring and we choose to have them close to us and we trust them. People who will listen. People who will tell you, not tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. We might look at David's situation and say, come on, Rich, that's pretty extreme. This is a pretty extreme illustration to use. I want to invite you to look at a world. Decisions that are made and, and people that you know have been through what David did and how it hurt their relationships. Look what our culture and society celebrates. We can't easily discount this big illustration because it happens all the time. You know, earlier I asked everyone to raise their hand who've been at the end of a situation where they look back and said, man, if I knew then, I would make a different choice. And they realized they made a wrong choice. And again, almost all of you raise your hands except for those who are still have broken arms in the room, right? Nine out of ten times we feel that way because we made a decision or a choice in isolation. We didn't seek the right counsel. We sought the counsel of those who would say what we wanted to hear. We didn't have or don't have the people speak into our lives without generally have the best interests in our lives for us. Living in isolation is dangerous because it has a cost. Because here's the truth. The decisions we make today have their outcome lived out tomorrow. And we don't think about that when it comes to making decisions. We really don't. So this morning, I want us to walk through, I want us to see around the corner in life how it's important to have people to walk with us to make the best decisions in life. 
Are you struggling at what you're looking at on your phones or your computers? Are you, are you living in your personal relationships? How are you living in your personal relationships? Are they pure? Are you making good decisions, work decisions? How, are you, do, you, how do you treat your husband? How do you treat your, your wife? How are you raising your kids? How are you planning for your future? Are you living financially responsible? See, when it comes to making decisions and actually living life, we won't see the outcomes until they are already in our face. That's why isolation is dangerous. We need to have people in our life to help us make the right choices. Left to ourselves, we will not always choose rightly. If you went back, when I shared that verse, I'm going to go back and it says, and David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Obviously, he didn't do what was just and right for all his people when he took a married woman into his bedroom. We may think that we will do that. Come on, I have really good sense. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time or I've been through life. I have real life experience. I get this, but we won't always make the right decision. We will always look back and identify the cost of making a decision in isolation. We're never meant to do life alone. We are created to live in community. And that's why here at Vertical Church, we believe that you can't do life alone. You need people in your life because isolation is absolutely dangerous. So David, David stepped in, man. He made a decision that was absolutely wrong. He did it in isolation, having people around him. And then what he did is he tried to cover the whole thing up. He brought Bathsheba's husband back, Uriah, back from the, from the battle and tried to change things up, get him to sleep with his wife and, you know, make sure she was pregnant, all this kind of stuff. And then all that didn't work. And what he did, he sent Uriah out to the front lines. He said, I'm going to continue to cover this up into the death of one of my own soldiers. And so he did. He sent him to the front line. Uriah ended up being killed. And then God sent Nathan to confront David. And that leads us to the second point this morning, this understanding. If living in isolation is dangerous, then we can clearly say that accountability is found in community. If living in isolation is dangerous... Accountability is found in community. Look at this, uh, chapter 12, uh, 2 Samuel, starting at verse 1. You can see it on the screen. It says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb and he, that he bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. He shared his food with him. He drank from his cup and he even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came in to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from re taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare their meal. This is a story that Nathan is telling David. 
He wouldn't take his own for the meal, the traveler who had come to him. So instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. David, after hearing this story in verse 5, he says, he was burned with anger. He was burned with anger against this man, and he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Nathan was no stranger in David's life. In fact, if you go back and read, you read the scripture, if you go back and read your Bible, there it is. Read your Bible, church. Um, you would see when David was sent at the seat of the kingship, Nathan was there. If you go back and read the Bible, you would see that David wanted to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant, but God spoke to Nathan, and Nathan went and told David what God said he was do. So Nathan was very close to David. Friends, God can and will use people to speak into our lives. We just need to allow them to be there and open our ears to hear. Although Nathan was in David's community of people, David chose to live in isolation. He chose to make an irrational decisions all by himself. You know, as I read this story, and maybe you've heard it multiple times, I find it very interesting that David just talked to the messengers that he didn't go seek out his buddy and ask him. He went to the ones who would say what he wanted to hear and do what he told them to do. He didn't go to the one that would challenge him. He didn't think that he didn't go to David. I wonder why that is. I mean, think about this. Hey, Nathan, do you think that I should go sleep with that married woman? Come on, man. You've seen Bathsheba. She's hot. What do you think, dude? How do you think Nathan would have responded? Well, we just read how he responded. He told him after the fact because he wasn't called in before the fact. Sometimes we have the right people in our lives, but we choose not to listen to them. We choose not to go to them because we don't want to be confronted. We don't want to hear the truth. Here's the thing about accountability. Most of us don't like it. In fact, we do a lot in our lives not to have it or to avoid it. But deep down inside, we know that we want to do what we want to do. And we don't want anyone to interfere. I'm going to ask you to stop right now and think back in your life. When you've made that choice in your life, take back and think about that one incident, those two incidences. You know what I'm talking about. The one that started with, I want to do what I want to do, and you went and chose to do what you want to do. You made that decision in isolation and it radically changed an outcome that was right in front of you. Or maybe it's changed your life changed the directory over here and did this over there and it caused this pain or them pain. We all have those. We need accountability. 
that if you had had someone in your life that you're willing to open up your ears and listen to, to speak, to walk this journey with you, maybe you would have made a different decision. Maybe you would have caused yourself a little less pain. Just last night, I went to, uh, Stephanie and I went to, uh, I don't remember the name of the place, but we went axe throwing with Benson and Christy. And uh, let me just tell you, that's a ton of fun. <laughs> Come on. We were going axe throwing, and the guy was up there, and he was telling us uh, all these rules and regulations and instructions, what to do, what not to do, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, come on, man, you're taking up our time. We pay you by the hour. Get out of the way. But as we're going along and shooting, I recognized what he said was very, very important. It was crazy. He said, okay, only one person go in front of the counter when it's your turn to shoot. And because we're in a two-bay area and there's only a half ball in the middle, that when one person throws, don't go get your axe until the other one's done throwing. All right? These are very serious rules. We're like, man, any, any dummy could get that. What are you talking about? No one's going to walk in front of an axe. I mean, seriously. Well, then we started playing. I started watching what we were doing. You know what we had to do several times to each other, all four of us? Hey, don't go throwing that axe when the other person's walking up and the other girl's getting her axe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, don't do that. Hey, we need to be on this side of safety. Over and over again, we're reminding ourselves that what we're called to do to live in this way, we are protecting each other. Church, that's what God wants for you. He has given us rules and regulations and guidelines. It's an open book test. Read it. He says, this is how I've called you to live. This is how you get the best life. And I've put people around you to protect you so you don't go get hit by an axe. You might die. It might cause you some pain. We are called to live in community with others and have accountability. Because there's going to be times when we we do go rogue. We're not going to listen to what God says in his word. Why? Because we're sinful people. We're not going to be kind to our neighbors. We're going to make decisions that God says, what are you doing? You big meatball? And we're going to need people in our lives to call us back. To come back. You've crossed the line. You're going to get hit. You're going to get hurt. That was Nathan. Looking back what Nathan did, he confronted David with his sin. Look what you did. Look what you did. I told you a story that infuriated you and you wanted that man's life. And guess what, Cain? You're the man. And it wasn't like, hey, you're the man. You're the man. Knows you are the man. You caused a problem. You caused a pain. You took someone's wife and you sent her husband to die. You're that man. I can't imagine what David felt that moment. Being called out by a trusted brother. See, when we live in community... 
when we allow people into our lives that give us accountability. We take removing a lot of the dangers in our lives. And what it does is allows us to see the around the corner of life. Because alone, we can't do that. But the wisdom of God's people around us to encourage us, to show, to direct us, we can. We can make better decisions today for a better life tomorrow. That happens when you allow people in. See, God, as if a wisdom, knew, knew that he wants to give us this abundant life. Life to the full, John 10, 10, that he has for us. But he knew that we couldn't get it alone. That's why he created the body of Christ, his church. And God doesn't want you to just get through life. Man, he wants you to thrive in life. So you have to decide, what are you going to do? Are you going to choose to live in isolation? Are you going to choose to try to do life alone? Are you going to let God bring people in your life that lead you to the best life? And you know what? Just as you need them, they need you. What is it? Galatians 6.1. I'm going to botch this. I'm going to go there personally. Galatians 6.1, it says, uh, Brothers and sisters, someone is caught in sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. As brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, we're called to step into other people's world and say, listen. You need that. I need that. We need that. Unless you have a broken arm. So this morning, once again, out in that lobby, we have tables where our small group leaders are going to be at. And I'm going to encourage you, challenge you to walk out those doors and go sign up for a small group. And if you are not in a small group, get in one. If you have a small group, be a cheerleader for your small group. Get out there and say, come and join my group. We'll have a bang up good time. That's what we say at our small group. And if you don't have a small group, let's start a new one. Figure out how you can kick off another one. And right now in this room, there are many of you who are resisting this small group thing. In your heart, you are saying, I don't need it. I don't want it. It won't be comfortable for me. It wouldn't work for me. They wouldn't allow me in. They'll judge me. I'll feel unwanted, dismissed, embarrassed, ashamed. And you can go on and on and on about the list of why you shouldn't go on and sign up for a small group. Man, you have someone whispering in your ear like I shared last week. And it's not Jesus. It's Satan. Telling you don't need community. And as I shared last week, man, his native tongue is a lie. I've seen people who rejected this truth about living in community. And I've seen their life go up in flames. I've seen people who rejected this idea of living in community 
and turned around and embraced it and how it radically changed their life, saved their marriage, came to Christ. It was absolutely amazing to watch. I could sit here all day long and share stories with you how I've watched lives be changed in small groups. But I won't for three reasons. One, you don't want to be here all day. Two, football's on this afternoon. And three, you won't fully understand until you experience it for yourself. So get out there. Get in a group. And watch God change your life. Because remember, the best version of you is on the other side of meaningful relationships. So this morning, I think it's an absolute perfect time for us to step up and take communion together as a church. You know, what communion represents is absolutely something amazing. You know, when that Jesus died and gave his life for our sin. You know, there's, if you go back and you look through scripture, you can see it in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talking about what Jesus instilled. We're going to be looking at chapter 11 here in a second, reading some verses from that. But I think about this idea of living in community and being held accountable that sometimes we don't get it right. What Jesus says is we need to come to and confess that. Confess it, confess our sin to him. And he says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He restores our relationship with him. And so I think about this morning about how maybe we have made some decisions in the recent past that we're not proud of. Maybe we've made some decisions in our lives that are, that are contradictory to how God has called us to live. What an opportunity for us right now to stop quietly and talk to God and seek forgiveness for those. Because what we're going to be doing is you do this in remembrance of me. We're going to be taking communion together in remembrance of what it cost Jesus for our sin. That it cost him his life. It cost him a brutal death on a cross where his blood ran red down it so we can be free through a life surrendered to him. pretty amazing it cost him his life so we can have community with God see because our sin separates us from him and the only way back to God is a life surrendered to Jesus Christ because what Jesus had done for us so as we step up the table man this is this is huge it's an opportunity right now for us to be quiet and make things right. It's an opportunity for us to, to be quiet and let God speak to us and turn things around. It's an opportunity for us to be in commune with our Lord and Savior. It's an opportunity for us just to remember. Remember the cost. So we can have life. You know, a few moments we're going to be taking, you'll be walking up here and you'll be taking the bread and the cup of juice. The bread is very, very simple, as a symbol of Jesus' body. How it was broken for you. 
that he went to the cross and took on your punishment, your pain, my punishment, my pain. Jesus said, I got it. I got it for all of you, all mankind. And then we're going to be taking the juice, and juice represents his blood. Blood needed to be shed. You go back and again, read the Old Testament, blood needed to be shed as atonement, a covering for man's sin. Jesus says, shed my blood. Let me be pierced. Let my blood run for you. What an opportunity to remember that and reflect what it cost him for us to have that relationship. So I'm going to step back. I'm going to ask you to have a conversation with him. Talk with him. Walk through some things in your life that you're dealing with. Confess if you need to confess. And then we'll come up and I'll read scripture and we'll take communion. Let me spend some time in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you through song and through word. God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for our sin. Not only did he die, he conquered the grave. He's sitting by your side. And that's what we hold our hope to. That's what we've surrendered our lives to, a risen Christ. But this morning we remember, we remember what it cost, the pain that he took, so we never have to.
So as we step up to the table, God, I pray that you hear our prayers. You hear our confessions. You know our hearts. Search us. Pull it out. And so we can have the right relationship with you. Thank you for your body. Thank you that we're not called to do life alone. That you give the saranas with amazing people. So we do step up today as a church. We do step up and celebrate what you have done for us. Not in a yay, but in a thank you. We so don't deserve your mercy and your grace and forgiveness. But you pour it out freely. And you pour it out daily. We lift this moment to you as we step up. May you be glorified. May you receive the honor. May you receive the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as Paul steps up and starts sharing what Jesus instilled with his people, I'm going to call the elders up to prepare for communion just a second. I'm going to read a few verses what Paul shares to the church of Corinth. He says, For what I received from the Lord I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was in an upper room with a group of people he was doing life with. And he pointed to what he was going to do, that this is my broken body. So as we come up and we take partake of his body and understanding that what Jesus has done, it's a symbol for of remembrance of what it cost him. And it continues on, Paul shares, it says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, Jesus with these people said, my blood's going to be poured out for you. So as I put this in place, and for the body to remember, remember the cost. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes to church. He is coming back. He's going to set all things new. But from now until that time happens, we come, we remember, we're grateful, we're thankful for what our risen king has done for us. Amen. There is no greater image 
and watch the church remember their Lord and Savior in community with each other. You are just an illustration of exactly what Jesus calls to do and how he's called us to live life. It's something we never take lightly. Right now, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. I'm going to close this out in prayer. And if there is something going on in your life that you need help walking through, I'm going to ask you to come forward after we're done. This team up here prays throughout the week for the opportunity to love on you. If there's something that you need accountability for that you're struggling with, help them come up and let them pray over you and with you. There is power in prayer. In fact, let's do that right now. Father, what a sweet, sweet image was to watch your church remember the sacrifice together in community and unity with each other and with you. Thank you for giving that realist illustration of what it looks like to walk with you as a church. Thank you for your son that makes all that we do here possible. I do pray, Lord, for, for those of us who are in this room who are still struggling with getting in a small group and want to push that back, God, I pray that you bring someone into their lives to share the blessings of having people in their life. Well, all of us in this room know far too well how dangerous it is to live in isolation. How we've made choices in those moments that have cost us more pain than we want to deal with, either in our own life or others. I pray that you call us to continue to live in the community that we were created for because we are your church. And all God's people said, amen. God bless church. Have an amazing week.